There's less money to go around from government to spend on connecting the dots. So if we're going to invest, we want to go to future suburbia with the dots already committed to and connected or functional suburbia or aspirational suburbia if we can afford it. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, we're going to peer over the horizon. We're going to have a look into 2024. What kind of property investment strategies will work in 2024? We're going to dig into some strategy work today. What type of properties could we buy to make a bit of money and build our wealth to live the life we want. That's today's show. It should be a cracker. I love stargazing into tomorrow and seeing what's ahead when it comes to investment. And of course, uh, today we are close to next year. Yes, Does it feel like this year has got away? I don't know, but I tell you what, Christmas and the new year loom. So uh, I don't know about you, if you're booking a cheeky little holiday, going somewhere over the Christmas and new year period, certainly in my industry, in the real estate game, there is less activity uh, because there's just simply less people doing stuff. It's not a bad time to buy real estate over the Christmas New Year period. It's obviously less competition. But uh, for me, I tell you what, I get out of town. I got to go and have a break, a podcaster's break. But we've still got a few shows left to go. And I thought we should do a show based on what next, what could we uh, look out for in 2024. And what kind of property strategies will work in 2024? So we'll dig into that. But first, a big welcome back to all my regular listeners. Thank you for uh, your ears this year. And of course, if it's your first time tuning into the show, we have a rule here. you got to play the program in double speed. Get your life back. So let's get into it. What type of property strategies will work in 2024 when it comes to choosing an investment? Of course, to pre-frame this, I need to explain that real estate investment has different pockets to it where you go through different phases. Of course, uh, many of my regulars understand this. There's the acquisition phase, the consolidation phase, and of course, the legacy phase. So today's show is really geared about geared to anyone considering on acquiring property strategies linked to the ability to apply concepts to purchasing real estate. And I obviously teach the Forex Growth Plan, which is a simple plan: buy well, buy in a great location buy in a great market and apply some emotional factors to the real estate that really work for extra capital growth. Uh, 
emotions drive real estate decisions for the most part, particularly in the owner-occupier marketplace. So we want to buy some real estate based on some maths, some numbers, some good logic, but we also want some of that emotional flair, which connects through to the less logical home buyer marketplace. So we've got a big job ahead of us, but certainly in 2024, some strategies are going to work and are going to make people money out of real estate. Even if we analyze this year, when the year started, there were some predictions that the real estate market would drop a lot in value. And ultimately, the real estate market did dip for a while there, but Every uh, dip has been regained and now many marketplaces are at a new normal. So before we do some strategies, I think it's uh, prudent to explain that we are now in a more normalized marketplace. This is the new normal. Normalized mortgage rates, normalized price indexing, um, normalized uh, space, if you like. And uh, I know it's quite often exciting to hope there's going to be massive busts and, and large booms, but I really do see 2024 as a more normal kind of marketplace whereby the success of real estate is going to be driven through you, the property investor, getting your particulars right when it comes to choosing the right asset or even upgrading for the right asset. We are going to see in 2024 absolutely continued real estate inventory shortages. There's going to be a product challenge which is going to continue to unfold. There's just not enough completions unfolding in 2024. There's uh, certainly a lack of stock being produced and for the most part, a lot of people are still holding on to their real estate despite the fluctuations with the mortgage marketplace. And of course, uh, I think it's fair to say uh, a lot of our jobs today are connected to our suburbs and we're going to see a continued popularity based on suburban investment in major cities. I think it still is the best way to get ahead as a property investor. And some of our great suburban marketplaces are going to produce the growth, are going to help people succeed, build wealth uh, for many property investors in the marketplace. I don't think we need to come up with strategies which are high risk, high reward in this marketplace. We've still got great opportunities in our bigger cities across Australia. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And I do think it's going to be a fantastic rental market still. There certainly is no stock for people to, to live in. Uh, there are people living in cars, as we've discovered recently on a previous podcast. Workers living in cars because there's nowhere to rent. Now, I recently had the double rental uplift. Uh, I think I'm the first investor to get the double rental uplift. What's the double rental uplift? 
Well, the double rental uplift is I had a 12-month rent increase, which I thought was brilliant. It was a huge jump in rent. And then as that rent uh, increase was invoked, 12 months has now lapsed. And now my property manager has reported to me that they're going to push the rent even further. Now, in the back of my mind, I thought, wow, uh, the first rent increase was very, very sizable. Now, the second rent increase is equally as sizable. So certainly, it is a fantastic investor market for anyone who is driving results through urban cash flow. Now, I'm a big believer in urban cash flow. I've seen my own portfolio go to positive cash flow from buying suburban and urban properties in the right locations geared around the right type of tenant market with the profile of the ability to pay for much larger rents. And so I'm amazed it's happening. I've literally got the double, the double uh, rental rise. And so uh, in early 2024, that property I'm referring to. It's going to get its uh, second year in a row sizable rent increase. And I think that will be certainly the case for other property investors with the right assets in 2024. There's just simply a real lack of product out there in the marketplace. And of course, the sooner you can get those rent increases in, the better off you're going to be because less money coming out of your back pocket. And I think uh, really uh, as much as a normalized marketplace, a continued lack of stock, a continued love affair of suburbia in our uh, large uh, metropolitan cities, our fantastic rental market. I mean, I would say as well, the right infrastructure and amenities are going to attract investors, home buyers. These are the types of things that I think are going to be very, very successful into the future. And, uh, you know, I would say the country is going to go through a amenities gap. Yes, an amenities gap. The cost to deliver construction projects is very, very high. And certainly, I think for a lot of government they are going to park a lot of amenity upgrades in our urban world uh, simply due to the cost to deliver those urban upgrades. So I would say areas which are driven off the back of great infrastructure efficiency right now, great amenity efficiency right now, and or places which are also driven off the back of public companies driving amenity and infrastructure upgrade will do very, very well. And other areas will will spend a few years just not getting those upgrades. So we could actually be in for a little bit of urban decay in certain suburban suburbs. And so I'm very mindful of the right suburban archetype that I'm investing in. 
And uh, I've probably explained this before. There's actually seven urban or suburban archetypes. There is historical, which is those historical suburbs with beautiful architecturally inspired turn-of-the-century houses in them. And they are great places to invest. And I think continuing investing in those areas, people will do very, very well. The challenge for a lot of get started property investors, they simply can't afford those areas. The second archetype, if you like, is those character suburbs, which again, a little bit like heritage suburbs, just beautiful, larger character homes, leafy neighborhoods, pretty streets. Um, You know, you can't go wrong as a property investor putting your foot into those suburbs. Again, the challenge for many people to buy in those suburbs is uh, price. The aspirational suburban, suburbia is, for me, driven by belts, school belts, sand belts, green belts, ed med belts, and cultural belts. Aspirational suburbia is a great place for people to get their money into as a property investor because, again, infrastructure rich, amenity rich, and with the cost of providing new amenity, upgrading amenity, I think these areas just hold their own regardless and already are so amenity rich that they also make great places to invest. Quite often the housing market is a bit challenging for people to invest in those areas, but I know there's still possibilities in smaller townhouse and or apartment investment into those suburban landscapes. And of course, functional suburbia, those good upper middle class, middle class functional suburbs, great infrastructure, great uh, level of localized amenity, make a lot of economic sense to, to buy in, as does future suburbia or renewal suburbia basically suburbs which are going to be fast-tracked are part of the state government's infrastructure growth plans where there is large public and private investment into the uh, great new future suburban world. And in some respects, I know leapfrogging suburban areas which are run down and and buying in future suburbia is making people a handsome amount of money. Why? Everything's uh, uh, multiplying in those areas. You're getting jobs created locally. You're getting people spend money locally. You're getting the multiplier effect of results. uh, And you're getting a lot of government and private money coming into those marketplaces which make them work and again um, it's probably the two marketplaces which I don't think make good suburban investments is as part of the seven suburban archetypes is the disadvantage fringe Uh, it just doesn't work there is a lot of never to be gentrified Uh, logic around those suburbs. They won't get the infrastructure spend. They won't get amenity upgrades. The government doesn't have the money to spend. And so 
if anything, there's going to be suburban decay in those marketplaces. And of course, the neighborhood effect unfolds when there is suburban decay, your neighbor's house looks uh, less impressive. And all of a sudden, you know, real estate's not growing the way it should grow in those areas. So broken suburbia and disadvantaged suburbia are not my cup of tea. I've openly explained that over the years. Uh, I'll continue to explain it into 2024. I just don't see those areas doing what people hope they do, which is buy a cheap property and hope for the best. I don't see that logic working out. And the reason I don't see it working out, particularly in those neighborhoods, is there's not enough money to go around. So why would government uh, inject money into those areas? Really, uh, there is no benefit to society for money to pour into those areas. And of course, because we get the uh, leakage of money from those areas, they remain broken and disadvantaged, and I do not see great growth prospects for those areas. The leakage is basically people don't spend their money in those suburbs. Even if they live in those suburbs, they leave those suburbs to go to work somewhere else. They spend money uh, going to work somewhere else, and uh, there's no localized money circulating in the economy. So suburbs are just localized economies, and I think there are roughly about 60% of suburban places which are going to do very, very well, 40% which will be laggards and just not on the radar for public works upgrading, amenity upgrades or infrastructure upgrades. So I'm going to follow the uh, better marketplaces and really probably for most people I deal with anyway, who tend to have a mid-range budget, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars that kind of money. It's really uh, functional suburbia, aspirational suburbia, or future suburbia, which is really the, the, the benefit of 2024. I think that's where the smart money will go. That is for sure. And of course, uh, there are buying patterns to support that logic. Probably the two big buying patterns which are unfolding at the moment. One, we have the baby boomer marketplace uh, that live in you know traditionally larger homes, uh, navigating their way to those more uh, aspirational suburbs where they can you know get lifestyle benefits off the back of them, the sand belt, the, 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 the blue belt, uh, the green belt, and ultimately, uh, you know, getting into a, a smaller home, uh, townhome style, uh, villa style, apartment style, luxury apartment style. These are all some of the supportive buying patterns, if you like. And of course, um, millennials who make up the largest cohort of demographics today are without question still going through family formation, which means that they themselves are looking for more space, spatially uh, exploring uh, new suburbia, uh, aspirational suburbia and functional suburbia for 
their family formation home. And of course, this is what is driving a lot of current demand. And real estate is a demand-led sport. And as we know, there is a lack of supply and a lot of demand. So what can you do in 2024 knowing all of these signals that uh, there is money to be made in the real estate marketplace? Uh, Will there be a massive boom? I don't know if there'll be a massive boom. Uh, Are property prices increasing? They are. Uh, And of course, I guess if you're sitting on the fence, it just costs more later to, to play the game. Uh, Obviously, there could be a little bit of normalizing of the mortgage rate. It could come down a tad, which most experts agree at some point in 2024 and through 2025, we are going to see a mortgage rate uh, drop. And really off the back of of, uh, consumer confidence and sentiment. And of course, if we peer around the world, there's certainly other major OECD countries, which, you know, starting to to see a nudge on higher unemployment, uh, a nudge on less confidence, and that's pushing rates down. So investors tend to love rates dropping. Uh, It's just the way it is. It's always nicer to own investment properties when you're not pulling out so much money out of your back pocket and you can continue to uh, live a frivolous lifestyle. Most people don't really like the pain of, you know, not having too many pennies in their back pocket. It uh, certainly creates uh, certain scotomas for people. So I think we will start to see uh, the interest rate burn uh, slow. But What kind of strategies can we invoke in 2024 if we are going to play the game? Well, the first strategy is always a controversial strategy to talk about, and it is to use buying off the plan and jump the interest rate hump. Yes, uh, today you can go and find real estate which carries a two to three year time frame before it's complete. And you can use the concept of putting down a deposit, 10% deposit or a 5% deposit on a property, controlling the real estate behind that property uh, without paying the mortgage and delaying essentially the settlement, why the real estate gets built for a period of time. Now, uh, again, uh, using an off-the-plan strategy A lot of people get it wrong. They don't know what actually a good project looks like in Australian real estate. Remember market lemon theory. There is a lot of lemons out there. And of course, if you are going to use an off-the-plan strategy, you want to align that with good scope of works, the right time frames, the right costing, and the right quality of delivery of the product. And so there are some rules around it. And I have done previous podcasts on buying off the plant. Of course, uh, uh, certainly those that have followed scope, time, 
cost and quality that I have helped have done really, really well off uh, some pre-construction real estate of late. But certainly the one of the ways you can avoid going backwards if it's going to cost you $20,000 per annum, $30,000 per annum to own real estate uh, for the next three years, that's $90,000 if it was a $30,000 cost. Uh, could you uh, actually jump the hump or jump the burn rate of losing that money, but also make some money using an off-the-plan strategy? Uh, the short answer is you can't, but you need to be very, very good at that strategy. I wouldn't recommend it uh, as a self-guided strategy. Uh, I think a lot of people get it wrong. And, uh, you know, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, they'll say, don't do that strategy because it is a strategy whereby you need the lashes on the back to know what's good and what's not so good. Now, I will say that strategy also is uh, right now based on the cost to deliver product uh, a bit of a needle in a haystack, bit of a needle in a haystack. It can be found, but it's a bit of a needle in a haystack. In other words, product uh, is certainly more expensive to build and in some respects not feasible and overpriced. And so you don't want to buy a off-the-plan property which is overpriced because what would be the point of that? So again, all of these strategies are ideal for property investors who know how to play in the game or know what they're doing. Uh, and uh, certainly, I think jumping the hump for a lot of people who don't want the burn of real estate interest rates uh, is one way to tackle the next two to three years. Just simply don't have a mortgage. Be in the real estate market, but don't have a mortgage. The, uh, the next uh, strategy I would use and I'm going to look for in 2024 is very much linked to the buying patterns in society. Millennials are buying homes. It's as simple as that. And if we understand where millennials are buying homes, a lot of millennials are going to future suburbia and functional suburbia. So for me, it's a, a big game of getting into those marketplaces, but functional and future suburbia are driven around community. And so if we can find family-friendly communities with great amenity, great infrastructure, uh, they will make strong investments because this is a huge cohort, the millennial, and we've already seen the first wave of millennials migrate into houses and we will see the second wave of millennials migrate into houses as well. And so again, there is just potential gains looking for housing in those marketplaces. Um, and, uh, you know, 
working off the back of community-led areas where people love living, where the local community uh, works, they live, they play, they learn in those neighbourhoods. The money that people have in their back pocket is re-spent in those communities. And uh, really, from a strategy point of view, it's established houses in those communities or building a house in those communities is really the strategy that I'm going to to do in uh, 2024. And I think it's I think it's makes so much sense. There are some growth areas and and sometimes again, growth corridors get a bad rap because um, you know they're not the uh, I guess, established model of where traditional blue chip investments are, i.e. old suburbs that are 100 plus years old. Um, But, you know, a lot of millennials are playing a different game to a lot of property experts that, you know, have a Gen X or baby boomer logic. Like they are just playing a different game. And when I speak to a lot of millennials – they openly say they're investing differently to, I guess, us old wide, wise foxes. And so I like listening to them and understanding what actually makes them excited. And really, the model that they love is community-led land areas. All about community, great schools, great local shops, money being reinvested in the local community. And it's fair to say there's evidence that that works. There is absolutely evidence that that works. You could go to northwestern areas of Sydney where the uh, agent of change has been new housing and rail alongside good schools, uh, local community um, re-engagement and and real estate has has doubled um, in a very short period of time. So I'm a big 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 believer of going. Well, where is the evidence that this stuff works? We know future suburbia works, but it has to be connected to good community reinvesting in itself. Uh, there's plenty of land corridors that don't work, and there's plenty of cow paddocks that are cow paddocks with houses on it, which are disconnected and if we go back to what I was alluding to when I started today's program there's less money to go around from government to spend on connecting the dots so if we're going to invest we want to go to future suburbia with the dots already committed to and connected or functional suburbia or aspirational suburbia if we can afford it Uh, quite often character and heritage suburbia it's too much for people, right? They just don't have the uh, the ability to get into those marketplaces. Now, the next strategy, which I think is going to work, is built apartments that are in uh, the right neighbourhood, the right urban area. Um, they are undervalued, and there is a lot of inherent equity built into the right apartment. Now, apartments, again, for a lot of people, don't understand how to buy a good apartment. They just think an apartment. 
departments really come down to their their design, their architecture, their functionality, their uh, behavioral design, their reflective design. There's a lot to them, a lot to them. And uh, again, the right apartment just makes people a lot of money. But the beautiful thing with the right apartment today, it has a lot of inherent equity built into the real estate. Now, I was just talking to a quite famous BRW top 200 billionaire dude uh, who builds major apartment complexes around Australia. And uh, he was talking to me about a apartment complex in Richmond in Melbourne. And uh, I was inquiring on the price and uh, the product will go to market at $15,000 per meter. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you have a 100 square meter apartment, which is a nice family sized apartment, big, big um, apartment these days, that's a $1.5 million product being put to the marketplace as new construction. So that would be an example for most people of an off the plan whereby the new construction is is too much. It could be overpriced because in the same neighborhood, you can buy uh, basically current construction, uh, existing supply, modern real estate um, for much less than that. And so... Uh, We can see that that project either will get shelved because of the cost to deliver it, or if it did go to market, some people will pay too much for that real estate um, based on the cost to deliver that real estate. Do we want to be one of those people? No, we don't. But knowing that this is unfolding, there is a real interesting point in the Uh, demand curve right now and that is certain real estate which is still very modern has very good cash flow has very good lifetime cash flow has no capital intensive costs to it doesn't need major improvements won't get knocked down in the next 15 20 years has a lot of built-in inherent equity roughly there is today about 30 percent inherent equity in the right piece of real estate compared to future costs. Now, I recently attended a summit in Brisbane with the Lord Mayor of Brisbane, and he was asked this question, how does the uh, city build the supply it needs to build given the cost to build something and the maths of Newcomb Uh, a lot of new construction is disproportionate to what is under construction or what is recently completed or what is secondhand. And his simple answer was the secondhand under construction and what is complete market is going to rise in value uh, over 2024 because it needs to rise in value And he was almost indicating to me that 
he knew something we did not, that that marketplace will arise in value because the only way to unlock future supply is for the price of the established supply to fundamentally rise in value. I've seen reports from uh, economists on this that this is potentially a real thing in 2024, that we will see the uh, basically current stock levels start to rise to uh, try and get closer to future cost levels of product. And so the argument to that is, well, someone needs to be able to afford it. Can people afford real estate now? Well, probably not. Uh, can they afford it if prices go up 10 or 20%? Well, again, it'll just get harder and harder for people. At some point, leverage itself will be the conversation. And really, all you can do is lower rates to liquefy the marketplace and or change the amortization rate of how money is paid back. So, uh, if you want to make some money, uh, certainly jump on uh, current supply because the the uh, future supply um, of certainly apartments is is very very expensive. Hence, why when I was talking about using an off the plan strategy, you've got to be very diligent because um, a lot of product won't work, and uh, nine out of ten off the plans won't work. You want the one out of ten that does. And so why would that work and the others don't? We could spend hours here talking about it. But for, for a lot of product, uh, a lot of land sites, a lot of developments, they were pr approved in a different cycle. Uh, some developers buy today and develop today. Some developers buy 30 years ago and develop today. So there are uh, all sorts of ways that the maths works in real estate. It just takes a little bit of skill, a bit of knowledge to understand the market lemon versus the flight to quality space, which is what we ultimately want. So uh, buy a, uh, an apartment. Uh, it's got a lot of inherent equity in it. If it is modern if it is run down it's got no equity in it because it's not connected to new supply whatsoever you're just going to have to spend capital costs on that um you know probably have an annoying strata meeting on something the next uh next thing you can do in 2024 is use the reversion of the mean in a marketplace yes mean reversion per a marketplace and uh, really, the idea of mean reversion, if you're not familiar with it, and it's something a lot of commentators uh, talk about in, in property these days, uh, is that you use the concept that if a marketplace has had very, very good growth, then maybe it's going to mean the next phase of that marketplace is a lack of growth. Whereas a marketplace that has had subpar growth for a long period of time may actually be followed by a period of very, very good growth. And so what we're looking for 
is in a cycle certain uh, ways to analyze the cycle. And so if we go back and we explore what marketplaces have had a lack of impressive market growth really over the last four years, two marketplaces do stand out and they are Perth and Melbourne. Both Perth and Melbourne have had a pretty good 2023, in particular Perth, but certainly both marketplaces have had about five years of lackluster growth. And because they've had five years of lackluster growth, one good year is not going to make up for those five years of lackluster growth. So the concept of mean reversion is you may actually get some very good years of catch-up growth uh, in those two marketplaces. So a buying strategy in 2024, if you like, is to consider the mean reversion marketplaces to use them to your advantage. A lack of performance could actually mean a opportunity for current to future performance. It's kind of a model which uh, will potentially unfold in 2024. Probably uh, a strategy which will be a cracker in 2024 in my viewpoint is to use those character suburbs to make money. Uh, Obviously, our bigger cities have beautiful suburban areas to make money from. Um, As I alluded to, the seven suburban archetypes, you've got your heritage and you've got your character suburbs, which... Uh, usually in those inner middle ring areas where housing is in short supply. And because you will never get an oversupply in those suburbs, if you can afford to reach into those suburbs, you will do very, very, very well. And uh, in some respects, we now frame this as a double cycle strategy. Um, quite often property investors are obsessed with building, you know, five, six, seven properties. Uh, and the argument is why not just grab one really standout million dollar plus asset and get a higher rate of capital growth on that asset because it's in shorter supply and in a more affluent area and watch it double faster And because it doubles faster, it will double a second time faster because it's actually got the right set of mathematical logic around it. So in other words, you buy a million dollar property in a cracking neighborhood. You watch that million dollar real estate double in 10 years to 2 million. Then 10 years later, it's doubled from 2 million to 4 million. The double cycle scarcity strategy. Now, again, uh, I was looking at my client base currently um, who can afford what over the next 90 days. I've got, I think, out of, you know, um, over 40 people I'm sort of uh, working with through our our team. Um, Man, 
two people can do the double cycle strategy, which is sad because I would love everyone to do the double cycle strategy. But uh, most people uh, that I'm working with, unfortunately, can only borrow a certain proportion from the bank at the moment, and that's like five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. But the double cycle strategy is a good one, even if you just learning it for the first time. It, uh, it it is a cracker because what happens is you obviously have more capital invested in a higher asset uh, price being in that example I just alluded to, a million dollars, that becomes a $2 million asset in 10 years, that becomes a $4 million asset in 20 years. Well, uh, that could be a goal because you get an accelerated growth rate um, and obviously a more blue chip asset. So for a lot of property investors, they may upgrade to that. So it's still good to to use that conversation um, for many, many people who are hearing it for the first time. Certainly, if uh, if I end up speaking to a person who is capable of dropping a meal 1.5, um, that's what that's the model. That's the model. Uh, that's uh, what is is the way to make money, and um, uh, certainly finding some good opportunities in that in a middle area of Brisbane at the moment where you can apply that logic. And so if that's you, I think I think you're going to make a million dollars over the next 10 years because to me that uh, logic in 2024, there's still pockets where you can jump into the right property that can produce that double cycle strategy. So I'd be using that if I was you. Um, if you've got a f- bit of bit of money, if you're building up to it, we'll come back to that one in a few years' time. If uh, if you're in that space, so what else can you do in 2024? Well, I recently did a podcast on how to be very successful as a townhouse investor. Again, I think this is a brilliant strategy and one which. I've personally used in recent time to make money out of real estate. Townhomes today are still in undersupply. They're actually the uh, the there's there's less of them compared to houses and and apartments, and they're really mirroring the demographic of household formation. You know, two point five people per household. Um, you know. It doesn't work for a two-bedroom apartment, but it does work for a three-bedroom townhouse. And so I think society, because of affordability issues, mainstream middle society is uh, will see that product range as a hot dwelling type. We always talk about the next hotspot. What about the next hot dwelling type? I see it in terraces and townhomes because that trend, if you like, is very in line with what people can borrow from the bank and how people form as a family unit. You know, mum and dad and one kid, a little bit of a backyard, a little bit of a courtyard. 
But again, you probably want to listen to the full episode of how to buy a townhome. I've got a model, an evidence-based model that works, which is nice design townhome, uh, good level of functional suburbia with a decent level of tight supply, and the third place, which of course is that localized experience people will have they don't have a huge backyard where can they go locally and again i think the townhouse space will do well off the back of the fact that government you know is in deficit they don't have extra money the cost to build things is skyrocketing uh we were talking about the redevelopment of woolongabba stadium every seat costs $370,000, $370,000. So you got to understand like money is not going to urban decayed areas to revitalize them. So if you can get into a a good functional uh, new suburban character, uh, uh, aspirational suburban area uh, and buy a terrace or a townhome, you're going to do very well because you're going to be mirroring the demographic. Uh, I work on a model which has worked for me. It's made me a lot of money over the years, which is uh, simple. You take a stylish townhome, add uh, a good local level of um restrictions of supply and you add the third place equals profit so go back and listen to that episode um a lot of people can afford townhomes which is the other thing from an investment perspective so i think it's a it's a hot product type i'd be uh, definitely taking a look into that in 2024 and of course um You know, when it comes to the concept of gentrification, it is a way to grow your wealth. There are inner urban areas which are still gentrifying, which will become uh, marketplaces which, again, are just more popular into the future. There's always a new popular place that stands out from the crowd. And when I look at some of, I guess, the hot peaks of suburban areas to become more and more popular. I love considering the work of John McGrath. Um, You know, I've had a look at some of the media articles around his hot picks, and I would purport that they are gentrifying. Um, Certainly the ones that I know of, um, that he's recently reported, your Point Cooks, your Spotswoods, your... Um, Ascots, your Flemingtons, these are places which, again, are just going through further and better revitalization. So there's a a few ways to jump into 2024. And of course, suburban investment by looking at local gentrification is a way to, to play that game. And again, I'm a believer that local gentrification is also driven off the affordable and livable supply and demand gap, which I've talked about many times. Uh, 
but that's how it works, right? Like if people can't afford the top end of town, they don't want to live in the bottom end of town, they've got a decent budget, what suburbs are central, they have good transport, they're mobile, they've got a good standard of living, they've got a nice community, uh, and the maths works, where are they? And, uh, you know, how do I get involved in those areas as an investment uh, person? I think sometimes property investors get this model in their brain that everything is macro. You invest in Sydney, you invest in Melbourne, you invest in Adelaide, Perth. But actually, real estate is very local. Local factors determine the rate of growth. And so... uh, localism and gentrification if you can find those pockets in a area it doesn't really matter if for example melbourne grows that suburb may actually get a high rate of capital growth and so uh, gentrification and spotting the right suburb to mirror the affordable and livable supply and demand gap is uh, is a great way to make money and certainly something I love looking at and uh, I take on board what uh, other experts have to say and, uh, you know, either uh, start learning about why, why they believe in certain pockets and uh, or I, I, you know, certainly have my, my own theories on great gentrification places which eventually turbo gentrify and... Uh, get a you know a, a loaded amount of hot growth. So uh, we know we know that um, you know certain places which I've picked in the past to gentrify have gone on to turbo gentrify, and people have made a bucket load of money. Uh, it is not diversifying into a state; it's diversifying into a suburb. So that is something in 2024 from a strategy point of view, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, Can uh, anyone just pick a suburb? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Potentially you can. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I certainly spent a lot of time researching what people earn, what people spend. Is there a evolution of white collar workers coming into the neighborhood is uh, from census to census, are things improving? Uh, get out on the street and go and see these places. Look for urban decay followed by urban renewal. Um, yeah, there's there's work there. If you're willing to put into the work, you will find a good suburb which can grow. Uh, I think hotspots the most overrated word in Australian real estate, um, but. There are local places that will gentrify, that is for sure. Does that make them a hotspot? I don't know, but certainly you can get capital growth off the back of them. So uh, the next strategy, buy an already renovated property. There's probably a lot of built-in value. Now, again, um, there's some great renovators out there. I I went to dinner. I had a crazy dinner with a, a, a gun renovator. Things got loose at uh, the dinner. But, uh, you know, uh, that person has the gift of renovating. And, uh, you know, I was having a good chat with her about, you know, how to make money out of renovating. She, she, she said it. You don't make money out of renovating. You make money buying a deal at a discount. 
which again, I 100% endorse. Uh, renovating, again, for profit is about how you buy real estate. Really, everything that you do is connected to how you buy real estate. And so um, for a lot of property investors, if they're not local to renovation, i.e. can project manage, put some time and effort into being part of it, they're going to overpay and overcapitalize for a renovation. And so I think one of the better ways is to just negotiate and find a property which is overcapitalized already with a beautiful renovation and buy it uh, at a discount and basically negotiate for a fully renovated property. And so there's a lot of built-in inherent value because we know the cost to renovate is extreme. I think a lot of property investors kind of fell into that one as well, where they've bought a property in a inferior suburban area, uh, basically on you know a broken urban fringe or a broken suburban uh, suburb. There's no reinvestment in the suburb. They now live interstate from the suburb. Uh, they can't be part of you know, overseeing a renovation because they're a thousand kilometers from the asset and uh, the cost to renovate the asset actually would lead to an overcapitalized asset based on the income potential of the real estate. So uh, for a lot of um, people, a simpler model is just discounting, discounting. And, uh, you know, great dinner, by the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I learn a lot from the renovator. Um, and uh, it's it's probably a dinner I'll, I'll never forget because it was a wild, wild night. But the uh, actual... Um, the actual way to make money from from a renovation is through discount and so the another great strategy you can apply in 2024 is discounting discounting can be applied to all sorts of things how do you buy well how do you discount a renovation how do you discount buying land how do you discount doing a build how do you discount uh buying something that's established and brand new. How do you get a good price? Everything circles back to a starting point and um, feasibly it will improve your rate of growth if you buy well. If you pay too much for property, your rate of growth will be impacted because of the purchase price you end up paying. So, uh, some other ways to navigate through 2024, I think free ride the Brisbane Olympics. A lot of infrastructure spend is obviously going to be injected into the uh, southeast Queensland precinct. Um, it's probably one, uh, I guess, government which is kind of probably in a position where they cannot not spend money uh, because of the Olympic situation. Um, and 
the city will continue to evolve and there will be positive impacts off the back of it. And so whereas a place like Perth and Melbourne, you're really investing in mean reversion, a place like Brisbane, you're really investing in the idea of the, the free ride effect that you're not paying for the Olympics, even though you're a taxpayer, uh, 26 million taxpayers and a bucket load of iron ore in Western Australia is paying for the Brisbane Olympics. Can you be the beneficiary of that? Yes, you can. Can you potentially get growth off your real estate uh, positively off the back of it? Yes, you can. And so an undersupplied Olympic city probably equals capital growth. Uh, and I can tell you it's very undersupplied. And when the Lord Mayor's telling you there's probably going to be capital growth, geez, you're probably going to see some capital growth, one would think. So uh, don't underestimate. Um, certainly, Brisbane's had some robust capital growth over the years, over the most recent years, but it probably has a double cycle concept behind it because of the Brisbane Olympics. So again, um, I think, it's a, it's a good marketplace. I actually even think it's a good marketplace to be a two-step investor. Now, I recently did a podcast on, you know, basically trying to make money um, if you don't have much and then using that money to reinvest in better assets later. I mean, one marketplace to, to apply that logic is the Brisbane marketplace. Why not buy some real estate in 2024, two years before the uh, Brisbane Olympics, uh, offload it if you've made a gain, if you've bought well, and upgrade your asset base, consolidate your asset position. Obviously, uh, you know, there's a crystal ball associated with that comment, but, you know, very much this is the game we play. We've got to hustle. We've got to make money. Uh, sometimes we've got to think differently. If we're a millennial, we've had different circumstances to a Gen X. If we've had a, uh, if we're a Gen Z, we're we're completely, completely going through a different set of economics than the baby boomer marketplace. So uh, there's work to be done. There's work to be done, and I think in 2024, I would not underestimate co-investing with someone else. Real estate values in Australia are not inexpensive. Uh, if you've got someone you can co-invest with, a friend, um, and you can just, you know, put together a co-investment agreement, the rules, the pub rules, get out there and invest together uh, because many hands make light work and some of the best assets today require a investor to have good ability to to borrow and if it means you and your friend do something for the next seven years um, and you make some money and you scoot off in your own directions and you have that all set out and you don't feel like it's going to be argy-bargy hoo-ha I would highly recommend um uh, you know, considering co-investing as well to keep pace with where the market is at, at the middle of the market or above. 
if you can find that space, you're going to do very, very well. So uh, certainly new suburbia, certainly free riding the real estate market, two-step investing, co-investing, already renovated properties, uh, finding those gentrification hotspots, finding a dwelling hotspot in townhouse investing and my secret ingredient, the double cycle strategy for those that can play in that space, uh, simplize mean reversion in Perth and Melbourne, the built-in value of inherent equity in the right apartment against future costs, Uh, future suburbia, obviously something I'm a fan of. And of course, if you need to jump the hump, get on with it. All right, folks, that's it from me. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, yes, let's look forward to a great 2024. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.